This Wellness Couch podcast proudly brought to you by the Wellness Base Camp in Perth, our first ever event in WA. This Saturday, April 6th at the Royal Perth Yacht Club featuring some of your favorite Wellness Couch podcasters. For last minute tickets and all info, go to thewellnessbasecamp.com. Thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your life. Welcome to Wellness Women Radio for the women with big dreams who dare to be different and who want to thrive in health, work and play. Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston bring you a weekly podcast to help you master true health and create an exceptional life. This episode of Wellness Women Radio is very proudly brought to you by Dinner Twist. Dr. Ashley and I want to let you in on a little secret of how we maintain our healthy whole foods lifestyle with very little time. And one of those ways is actually with Dinner Twist. So they plan, they shop, they deliver everything to our door to take all of the guesswork out of having really healthy meals for dinner each night. Um, I love Dinner Twist because they are a locally family-owned business here in Perth in Western Australia, and all of their produce is locally sourced and seasonal. So they are really invested in all of their suppliers as well, which is absolutely amazing. Everything is so fresh. Uh, Ashley and I both get the wholesome box, which is naturally gluten and dairy-free as well, and is very consistent with a paleo-type lifestyle as well. Uh, so it's, you know, completely consistent with, you know, the way that we want to eat and want to feed our loved ones too. This is also how I trick Dean into thinking that I can actually cook. So seriously, if I can do it, everybody can trust me. And their recipes are so delicious. They also have other options apart from the wholesome box. So they have a family box for bigger size families an express box. If you're really short on time, uh, as well as a vegan box too. Now, we would love to give you the opportunity for you to actually try Dinner Twist and realize how healthy, how delicious and how fresh it is, but also how much easier this is going to make life as well. So we have a special promo code for you, and that is going to give you $35 off your first box. And that is WWR for Wellness Movement Radio. Um, So we would love you to uh, try for yourself. Don't take my word for it, but let me know what you think. Without further ado, ladies, onto the show. Hey there, fabulous listeners. Thank you so much for joining us again this week on Wellness Women Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And we're going to have a chat today about something that's a little bit less common, but we thought um, what a great way to introduce all of you to a topic that's not often spoken about, but I know that um, Dr. Andrea in practice comes across this quite a bit um, just because of law of attraction, right? She's really you know good in this area of women's health and I think she just attracts women with this uh, concern. But we're going to be talking about vaginismus and uh, vulvodynia and these you know conditions are incredibly debilitating for women. And I think if we can have a chat about those experiences and the stories behind it, it might help all of us understand um, the experiences these women are going through because uh, I was rather sad when I was reading, you know, various stories and listening to people talking that the common, you know, recommendations that are given to them. Uh, so it's, you know, so put back on the woman like it's her problem, it's her fault and, you know, have a wine and get over it. And I was just like, what? That can't be the best advice out there. So we're going to talk about some advice that's actually legit that we think is going 
going to make a, a much bigger difference than uh, getting drunk. <laughs> uh, yeah, Ash, I'm so glad you brought that up because there's definitely been some pretty weird and wonderful things out there about this and we're going to get into that to, um, when we talk about this episode. Hey, um, ladies, by the way, thank you so much for your patience in hanging in there with my terrible audio quality lately. Um, so we have discovered that my microphone has been broken for a little while and we've changed it over and this seems to have made a huge difference. So I'm hoping that you are experiencing that on the end of however you're listening to this podcast. If not, we will totally take feedback. Let me know what you think. If it's still terrible, I will find another solution. But Ash, it's pretty good at the moment, right? Yeah, you sound hot as always. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I definitely don't feel it right now, that's for sure. We've both had pretty big days. Oh. Um, but let's uh, let's definitely get into vaginismus and vulvodynia. Now, these conditions uh, can be pretty harrowing for the women that do experience it. And we're going to talk to you a bit about what these conditions actually mean, um, what defines them, and um, what sort of symptoms are, are based around it. And also um, just to help women feel that um, there is absolutely no shame around these conditions at all. And there's usually like a deep level of shame associated with it because, for example, vaginismus is a very painful spasmodic condition that is you know, kind of a bit of a subset of that genitourinary sort of pelvic pain disorder. It's considered to be a penetrative disorder, which I think is a terrible classification to put on it. And essentially what women will experience if they do have vaginismus is an extreme tightening of the vaginal muscles so that there's it doesn't really allow for any kind of um, insertion of anything, including things like tampons or digits or, um, you know, it would make doing a pelvic exam next to impossible and those sorts of things. So you can imagine that um, sort of penetration or, or intercourse would be off the table um, and it's incredibly painful. Um, and then vulvodynia is uh, a slightly different condition but tend to go hand in hand from what I um, have sort of experienced with my patients. And the vulvodynia is a, tends to be a new, more of a neurological sort of pain and discomfort condition where they might get burning sensations as well um, at the vulva uh, and it's from no other identifiable cause. So there's no, um, uh, you know, anatomical problems with either the vagina or the vulva um, and, you know, the treatment options for this is sort of very interesting, but we'll talk about that in a second. Um, so, Ash, I guess that's a pretty good intro into vaginismus and vulvodynia to give the listeners a bit of a, I guess, an insight into what women who experience this would be kind of feeling. Yeah, well, I guess let's put it into context because we had um, the thing that triggered us uh, to talk about this today, ladies, is that there was a really interesting uh, newspaper article that came out in, uh, I think it was the Metro, it's the UK magazine, and it was, you know, headline, woman who hasn't had sex due to painful vaginismus gives birth naturally. And I thought it was amazing that firstly vaginismus was in the headline because, you know, it's such an unspoken topic. Yes. Um, and then the next line comes down, you know, saying that, you know, she's essentially a virgin, but she still had a baby. And it's like, what? Huh? So most people, you know, straight away, that's they're, they're your, uh, your hook line sinkers right there. So people obviously, you know, will start to get some insight of what it was. But this lovely lady from India um, had vag has had vaginismus and she realized that, um, you know, at the age of 22, that she was 
you know, having some real difficulties. She couldn't have any vaginal exams. She wasn't able mm. to wear a tampon as a teenager. Um, and even the thought of inserting anything, she could feel herself just clenching up, just that uh, simple act of thinking about it. So, you know, she didn't know what the problem was, but had tried everything as much as she knew to overcome the challenges she was experiencing. And then at 25, she got married and had to, you know, tell her husband that she was a virgin and that she was unable to, you know, put any anything near or in her vagina, which obviously yeah. was a huge thing when you're a young couple looking for the future together. Um, but, what the, if, you know, the consummation of your marriage, isn't it? It's absolutely. A very antiquated it's, and deep-rooted in, you know. In every culture. Religious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in pretty much every culture. So, you know, the wonderful thing was this is, you know, a man who fully supported her and they looked for possible causes and came across vaginismus and, um, you know, were grateful to have a label for it to finally understand it properly and, um, but as, you know, she described was she consulted different professionals and, you know, they went along to things telling her that she needed to increase her foreplay, um, that she should drink a glass of wine before sex, that she needed to use some numbing cream. So for a year they tried all these different things and unfortunately didn't find that there was any improvement in her condition. So mm-hmm. um, they then de- went down the path and put her under a general anaesthetics for the doctors to be able to check her to make sure, you know, there was not something else that was wrong with her. Um, unfortunately, as it showed, there was no, um, no anatomical reason why she was experiencing this. She was in perfectly good, you know, genital health. Um, so, you know, for her that was, you know, devastating and Luckily, they were desperate to overcome it. So, you know, to get pregnant, um, they went down the path of IVF. So, yeah, so she was able to, you know, um, achieve a conception and pregnancy thanks to IVF. And she also was told by the medical professionals to opt for a C-section because Mm -hmm. of her condition. Um, but she said it was really grateful to meet with midwives who told her that, you know, birth is natural and she could do it. And they attended birth classes together and felt that, you know, for her, the full birthing journey was something she really needed to do. Um, so, you know, wonderful end of the story is that she did deliver vaginally uh, herself, which is really amazing and full credits, you know, to her belief in her own, you know, power and her own ability. Um and I think it was really interesting as well. <laughs> a comment at the end, which I, I kind of I thought was quite cute, that they they labelled it, um, even though they haven't tried sex yet since the birth of their child, which was um, in March. Uh, she says, "I'm confident there won't be a barrier anymore. I'll always yeah, remind myself that if I can push out a six pound baby with a head circumference of thirty three centimeters out of my vagina, I can easily take in a penis with much less circumference." <laughs> oh, like, how sweet! Good is that? I on think that's you. Awesome. You know um, what a beautiful way. As well, that um, she she had a virgin birth. Like yeah. this is, yeah, uh, I think that's thing. incredible. Uh, and this is not actually uncommon, which yeah. I know um, might sound a little bit surprising to women, but um, statistically, between five to seventeen percent of women actually do experience vaginismus, um, in particular, and. It's, I just think it's one of those things that's just not discussed outside of maybe a clinical setting because it is rooted in such strong senses of um, shame, um, depression. A lot of women will um, sort of comment that they feel anything but feminine and they have a strong sense of worthlessness as well because, you know, they, they can't um, – 
necessarily feel like they can satisfy their partners because you know they they can't attempt penetration um and it's interesting that i've i've seen patterns in my patients that do experience vaginismus and vulvodynia um that and there's no um uh, i i guess clinical research or evidence that I've seen that really supports this and I'm not making any assumptions about these women whatsoever. I'm just, you know, purely noting anecdotal evidence that I've seen. But in each of them, there is a history of either abuse or strong religious or cultural upbringings um, with a almost like sort of stifling um, sense of, of sexual beliefs. Um, I that just seems to be the theme in most of them that I've seen, which is definitely not wrong at all, but you can understand how that could then um, translate and manifest into, you know, these very strong physical symptoms. And I think a lot of the mistakes that many um, practitioners make is that they assume that these conditions are purely psychological and it's absolutely not true. So um, that advice that, you know, for example, that, Indian woman was given about just go and drink a whole bunch of wine yeah, <laughs> um, and you'll and be to fine. have more flu- foreplay and to lube up and to relax. I mean, it's just such a simplistic way of looking at it. But, you know, power to her because the reason she's gone into the media for, you know, this topic, which obviously we know place of, you know, culture or India, women, yeah. she's really powerful what she's doing. And uh, I think, you know, That's in a cultural context, you can appreciate that. Um, but she just wanted women to know that, you know, it is real. It's not just in your head. It doesn't go away. <laughs> if you relax, walk, drink more wine and lube up, it will happen whenever it has to happen. And until then, celebrate being you. Um, and she's saying being so much more than just a condition with a label. Um, and she really wants to show that women can have their dream birth um, of their baby and that you know vaginismus won't stop you Um, and I just thought how amazing to stand up um, particularly with the classic um, I would say masculine you know approach to this is very mechanical let's check inside what's broken what's not working okay Mm -hmm. well if it's nothing wrong in the vagina and the cervix and anything else and it's got to be in your head and it's you know it's your your health mental health problem and I just think it's such a a simplistic issue Um, we know so much more now behind the science of you know pain pathways and established pain pathways that um, when we start to look at brain science it's not just psychology you know we're, we're looking at chronic pain pathways ways and like you Mm -hmm. mentioned Andrew I think the one thing that's just so prevalent and it doesn't have to just be religious it can be cultural or internally within a family Um, if any form of sexuality is seen as a negative um, we have this connection between negative um, experience so it's you know bad dirty you know shameful whatever it is that you have any connection to your sexuality then guess what? We psychologically disconnect from our sexuality and that can obviously create this, um, what they call like a, a pain gate cycle, which is this idea that um, there's fear of pain because, you know, dirty sex, painful, bad, all these sorts of things, which may not necessarily, you know, stem from abuse. It can just be just the mental um, anticipation of something. And okay. then, of course, from there, it causes the physical clenching contraction of the pelvic floor muscles, yeah. which in turn increases pain experience, which in turn increases the contraction and stimuli of those pelvic floor muscles. So it's a really um, vicious cycle from that perspective. And of course, naturally, whenever we are experiencing pain, we're guarding to that pain. And therefore, you know, that, that pain 
spasm cycle will continue and that's why it can be so challenging to um, correct or to manage or to you know to help with so it's not just the psychology um, in terms of the connection to you know mental abuse trauma whatever it's the actual physiological neurochemical uh, interactions that we don't always have complete conscious control over Exactly. And it is actually defined as an involuntary spasmodic Mm. contraction of that musculature. So this is definitely not just a psychological condition by any stretch of the imagination. And I even think that the definitive diagnosis of this, which according to, you know, text must be done by vaginal examination, I think even that in itself is very disrespectful to women who might be experiencing vaginismus because they're already undergoing such discomfort and that involuntary spasm that's happening is incredibly painful, which might also be associated with the vulvodynia. So the entire area might be burning, might be painful. It might feel raw as well. So it's almost like a bit of a double whammy that uh, to be able to, you know, quote unquote, definitively diagnose it, the gold standard is to do an actual vaginal exam. But there's no kind of tolerance that these women would be able to have for that. I just think that um, even the uh, diagnosis of the condition, and I think it, it sort of speaks to the way that women are treated within the medical world uh, mm. and is very much representative of the fact that can you imagine if this condition was um, affecting men? So, you know, directly. Yeah. So imagine if there was some sort of um, disorder where they had a similar sort of um, situation and I think that it would be treated very differently. I think there would be a lot more research into it. I think there'd be a lot more treatment options and I think there would be a much better understanding and there wouldn't be, um, you know, that, that almost like forcibly like vaginal examination um, or the equivalent required for that. Um, so I think that this is probably why so many women are really frustrated because there is such a lack of evidence around, uh, you know, the cause, um, but as well treatment options and research that are going into it. Most women are just put on antidepressants by their GPs um, because, again, they're told mostly by male GPs or male clinicians that it's all in their head. Um, and there is, you know, I've been pilfering through the research and I was reading a case study that was very similar to the story that you were telling, Ash, minus the kind of pregnancy and vaginal birth about a 25-year-old woman um, with very severe vaginismus who was married and trying to attempt you know, intercourse and, you know, sort of going through that. Um, and they did try some quite novel approaches, well, considered novel then in 2011. And at, uh, at that point, there's been no randomised control trials whatsoever for vaginismus. And that only in 2017 could I find any reports of clinical trials, but they certainly weren't RCTs, um, which is considered, you know, the gold standard for you know, medical research. So I think that um, I think it's just interesting. It just speaks to the fact that um, I think a lot of women's reproductive conditions are not given the weight that they should be and aren't taken as seriously as what they should be as well. Oh, absolutely. It's, and this is something that I think comes up um, when, it, like you said, that I was reading as well that 2011 there was that forum and they brought together um, reproductive health specialists and essentially the consensus was no research. No yep. desire to do any research, um, and only gyne- gynecologists were interested in the condition. So, you know, all other medical health professionals didn't see uh, a need because it affected such a small number of 
the female population. But, you know, whether it affects one or one million, it's the same relative issue, isn't it? It's affecting mm-hmm. lives and there's ways that, you know, these, you know, we've got modern medicine, we can research things well. There's plenty of opportunities to help women better. Um, I think as well the flow-on effect here, and you mentioned that, um, you know, with marriage, this is a condition that inevitably can lead to marriage breakdown because of the disconnect of sexuality between partners and the poorly understood um, elements to this and the assumptions about, you know, abuse and abuse cycles could leave, you know, tags on women that, you know, men may be challenged by. And I think this is something that, you know, when we talk about the knock-on effect, it's marriages, it's family, it's, there's a lot of other, you know, aspects to a woman's health and well-being that's not just sex. You know, it's not exactly. just the ability yeah. to insert a tampon, it's all of the other social emotional, uh, parts of her being and her wellness. So I think, you know, for me, I looked at this and went, this is really not great just from the, you know, the mental, emotional aspect, but the effect that has on relationships. Um, and yeah, just exactly. And part. you're right, Ash, not just, um, not just marriage, but any re- like relationships that, you know, women choose to have that yeah. it can be affecting. Um, and I'm very happy to hear that in the case studies that you presented that the woman had a really supportive husband. That is fantastic. Yeah. That's absolutely yeah. the way it should be. Um, and, uh, you know, at first I was thinking, oh, you know, I'm really happy that um, he was so understanding and blah, blah. But no, it's it's just great that he was supportive as, as he should be. Uh, and, you know, really interestingly enough and, you know, with everything you're saying that there's not enough evidence, there's no one really cares about it unless they're gynecologists, for instance. But this is the most common female psycho- psychosexual dysfunction. How um, interesting is that? And the, yeah. the Cochrane yeah. Library, because I, I thought, well, hey, if it's going to be found, we'll find it in, you know, a Cochrane Review. Let's find out where the science is. And yeah, the latest, like, no, the 2012, and they, as they described it here, they had um, five studies included, only 282 participants, um, moderate to poor quality and yeah Yeah, and that was 2012 so and it's been around since the 1860s so the term itself vaginismus was coined all the way back then so it's been around for well over 100 and what almost 150 years now you'd think that we could do better than this that's for sure especially with our understanding of you know reproductive medicine and um you know just the way that the female anatomy works but anyway let's have a bit of a talk about what the treatment options are for women that currently exist. And what we do seem to experience is that only multimodal approaches that address both the physical and the psychological aspects of vaginismus or vulvodynia seem to be beneficial. Um, Mm. So, you know, uh, there was, there've been a whole bunch of treatment options that have been thrown out there. And these include things like um, putting women on antidepressants using Botox treatment to essentially um, like relax the musculature. Uh, It can be, um, you know, they've literally been prescribed excessive alcohol use uh, which is just insane. Um, anti-anxiety medications, muscle relaxants, um, hypnotherapy, which I think is, you know, beneficial. Um, but also sedatives as well. I just, you know, I, I really don't know how I feel about that. And women are also given, um, local anesthetics to use so that, but it's almost like it's forcing the issue. Like you cannot give a woman a sedative just to, 
I don't know, be able to perform sexually. I just think that that is really going against everything that their body is screaming out for at the time. Uh, in all the case studies that I've read, the things that have worked cons- mostly consistency consistently is a combination of um, you know really good uh, sex therapy with a you know proper sort of clinical um, psychologist who is really aware and well versed in this condition. Um, they have recommended graded insertion, and this is what, um, you know, women's health physios and, and those sorts of things will recommend, so using expanders or dilators and grading the dilators. However, that can seem very um, confronting for a lot of women when they can't even, you know, the, the idea of even inserting the, the top of their pinky finger is excruciating. You know, trying to force an expander or a dilator um, is definitely something that, I think should be the end of the spectrum. Um, there have been, um, you know, the use of local anesthetics in combination with lubricants, um, doing Kegel exercises, those sorts of things. So um, that has been some of the treatment approaches that have been proposed. Um, they've also put women under general anesthetics and given them hymenectomies, so physically removing their hymen, thinking that that will fix the problems, um, which I also think is pretty barbaric too um, because we know that, simply the presence of a hymen is not causing the vaginismus. Mm. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll talk you through some of the things that uh, I think makes logical sense to me, um, and this is sort of the things that I talk about with my patients who do experience some of these symptoms. Um, now, I am in no means a sex therapist, so uh, just putting that disclaimer out there, uh, but Whenever um, we have like an, a really strong overcontraction and involuntary contraction of certain musculature, there are ways to reciprocally help those areas to relax. So as you will know um, this from your work in training as a doula and even from childbirth is that there's that reciprocity between the muscles of the cervix and the vagina with relaxing the jaw, the face, the forehead, those sorts of things. Diaphragm, yep. Yep, mm-hmm. yep. So um, this is one thing that we really get them to focus on. So it's the the breath work with the conscious relaxation and release of the jaw muscles, the face muscles, the forehead, those sorts of things. Um, and some of the homework that I get them, that I give them, is that this always, always must be done at a really good time so they cannot ever try to attempt any of this sort of stuff when they're stressed out or panicked during a rush it has to be a really pleasurable experience always and i don't mean it has to be a sexual pleasurable experience it just has to be something that feels good and that can be grading um attention or, or grading even touch to as close as they feel comfortable, um, even if they're not getting anywhere near their genitals, even if it's just, you know, maybe the inner thighs or the pubic mound or, you know, across the pelvis, but it has to be a pleasurable experience always. And I always encourage the women to engage all of their senses. So put on, you know, their favourite music, um, do it solo if they're more comfortable with that, be in a really nice, comfortable environment, um, have some essential oils going or whatever it is, because all of those things are feeding back to the brain that this is safe, that this is relaxing and this feels good. And, you know, obviously our genitals are mapped so strongly in our brain in that homunculus of ours because it's supposed to be these are our pleasure centres. So the way that 
you know, we want our body to be interpreting all of these uh, sensations has to always be a really good, pleasurable experience, always. And you've always got to end on a good note. Um, and then obviously grading this to then hopefully being able to, you know, use the insertion of a finger or the dilators when you get to that point. But that can take a really long time. And if they are with a partner, then, you know, doing this together but without ever the intention of penetration or insertion. So they're having pleasurable play. It's always a really good positive experience, but there's always the boundary of no penetration, no insertion, because otherwise that creates stress, tension and frustration, which is the exact opposite of what we're trying to achieve at the time. Does that make sense? Absolutely, it makes sense. And it also shows, you know, the complex interplay, but how important it is to rewire the brain. You know, we're talking about this as, as, you know, the brain-body connection. If it was so easy to consciously overcome, you would just do it, right? You would all that advice about just relax and it would work, but it doesn't work because it's not that easy to overcome that consciously. So, you know, I absolutely agree with you, Andy. I think that, you know, that concept of sexual therapy using, you know, um, sensual touch rather than sexual is so powerful because because that disconnection of sensuality and sexuality, you know, like sometimes people don't even think they can have sensual touch without sex. So, yes. you know, this, this, like you said, bringing it back to pleasure is such a powerful thing. So sexual therapy and education is one of the most important steps in this because there also has to be that um, way to overcome maybe preconceived notions about sex, sexual touch, um, you know, intimacy, personal touch, masturbation, any of those topics that may have connotations that are yes, negative. Exactly. Um, yeah. So that's where, you know, sex therapists are so so good at that because that's what they do, <laughs> um, you know, they, and they can yeah. counsel and guide and use appropriate tools in regards to psychological tools, um, which can also be, you know, recommendations of actual physical tools, whatever whatever is needed, yep. Um, yep, and incorporate definitely. things like hypnotherapy, which we know has a good success rate in so many um, areas of health in regards to um, breaking addictions and, and, you know, habits and dysfunctional behaviours, and this can also fit in with that therapeutic intervention um, so that women can help to, you know, bring that mind-body connection, which is, you know, the visualizations, the pleasurable experiences, building that into an actual physical one. So start in the mind first, you know, build that mental picture, build all these things within the mind and then, you know, turn them externally into the actual physical contact, the physical touch. Um, I guess I'm a person who always thinks that, you know, mind mind is so powerful. So I believe that we can retrain the mind to do anything. Um, and therefore I really believe that, you know, women can um, can get improvement. They can get change with the right combination of therapies that works for them. Um, yes. So if anyone said, you know, you have to go to pelvic floor physio and insert dilators, but that's not where they're at, then start with mind first. Don't touch anything until you, you know, have the headspace right and then work together with, you know, pelvic floor or, you know, reproductive health physiotherapists who can work on the the physical tools. Because I know just the thought of sometimes, I mean, I remember the first time I, you know, went to have a vaginal exam and it was just freaking terrifying. And to be fair, because I hadn't had intercourse and I was doing it for polycystic ovaries, um, it was very close to an experience that could have set me up for the psychology that could have affected this Absolutely. function for a lifetime. Do you know, do you know what I mean? Like, I remember the time it was understand. so traumatic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so from that perspective, I, 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 you know, at the time, I remember thinking, oh, my God, like, 
if this is this bad, you know, I wouldn't want to be having very much sex. Like, you know, just that idea that this experience had not been connected with a very nice body experience. So, um, yeah. you know, I was very fortunate that thankfully, I guess, you know, good partners that came after that were um, yeah. always considerate of my needs. So I didn't set up a pain contraction cycle that this is so, you know, founded upon. Yeah, exactly. So, oh, that's so interesting. Mm. Um, Ash, another thing that does seem to um, be like have a positive result in the literature is having a really good understanding and education about reproductive anatomy. So um, some of the homework that women might have is literally learning all about, you know, the vagina, the vulva, um, you know, really understanding that anatomy and also really looking at um you know, their um, genitals in the mirror, you know, just so that they understand and they've got a good visual of what's happening there as well. Um, And I think that that's good and I think that's part of, um, you know, just making that mind-body connection too. Uh, You just mentioned something made me smile because, you know, understanding the anatomy. I I laughed at uh, a recent um, workshop I went to which is called orgasmic birth and it was really interesting because um one of the things she talked about was that she's like ladies you are so much you know better than men you're so much more wired to experience experience pleasure they've only got three thousand nerve endings and it's a multi-tool you know they've got to use it for sex urination everything (laughs) and she's like we've got this amazing clitoris and you know and the sexual nerve endings eight thousand of those just for our pleasure (laughs) And it just made me smile thinking, wow, we've been so, you know, put as the inferior um, aspect in a sexual relationship, but we've got like more than twice as many nerve endings there to, you know, enjoy the experience of it. So it's like, no, damn it. The guys please us, not the other way around. Exactly. And uh, Dr. Sarah Gottfried recommends that women explore this idea of orgasmic meditation uh, for vulvodynia or vaginismus. And um, so essentially the um, orgasmic meditation is something that can be done solo or with a partner. Um, There is lots of different options online, but one is called, I think it's called One Taste is a form of this orgasmic meditation, which is essentially clitoral stimulation for 15 minutes without the um, uh, without the intention of a goal or orgasm. Mm. And now for some women um, that might be too sensitive and too difficult, but that is kind of, a, you know, a goal. And some people do find that very therapeutic. Um, so there's, there are certain options. It doesn't just have to be antidepressants. Um, for some women, you know, Botox injections have worked really well. Um, um, for others, it might be things like herbal, herbal remedies for relaxation and anxiety and muscle relaxation, um, or it might be uh, gently lifting, um, you know, with, again, um, possible uh, nutritional medicine to help to lift estrogen levels to allow for more lubrication um, and thicker musculature um, or not, okay, thicker is probably the wrong word, but but. Um, so that they're not getting any of the atrophy of the vaginal muscle so that it's not painful, there's no risk of tearing or anything like that. So, um, ladies, if this is something that you ever have experienced or are concerned about or if you are getting any what's called dyspare, I can't pronounce this at this time of the night, but if you are having any kind of painful sex, sometimes these do go hand in hand. So it might be worth exploring and looking into whether or not, you know, vaginismus or vulvodynia might be something that you are actually experiencing. 
I think that's a great, you know, great close, ladies, because um, yeah, it's it's something that should be experienced uh, in terms of the research, but it's not there. So we can't cite any great, you know, journals or anything in this episode because there's just not the research there. But the great mm-hmm. thing is there is a, you know, a, a small but powerful group of people that are working towards understanding this better um, and, you know, producing options and ways forward um, so that it's not not such a life debilitating condition because we know that you, any sexual dysfunction can play on our, you know, self-esteem and, you know, quality of life experiences. So we definitely want you to seek the very best treatments, the very best help with this um, and to know that you're not alone and to know that there's other women out there who even, you know, as our lovely story, you know, exposed even with this condition and with the, the right person in their life and a loving partner, they can still experience the joys of motherhood and birth and things like that. So, because this is a exactly. condition that's, you know, categorically connected to infertility because of just that inability to actually conceive. So, there are other ways forward. Um, so, you know, we want you to know that there's women out there that are blazing a trail in this. They're, they're doing their very best to try new things and novel ways yes. to overcome it. Um, and that can be you too. So, and up. also, um, there's lots of women who do do self insemination. So it doesn't necessarily mean that if this is a condition for you and um, fertility is a priority, uh, and you know you're in a hurry to get that, doesn't necessarily mean that you do have to go down assisted reproductive, you know, say IVF, um, because lots of people do do self insemination. So just uh, rest assured that there's still lots of options, ladies. Okay, um, we would love to hear from you if. There are any women who have tuned into this episode who have um, had really good results for treatment of vaginismus, painful sex, or vulvodynia. Please get in contact with us. You can send us private messages on Facebook, so facebook.com forward slash the wellness women, um, or you can definitely, um, you know, slide into our um, private messages on Instagram, um, which is the wellness women official, uh, or feel free to email us. It is info at the wellnesswomen.com.au because we know that that advice is definitely going to help so many women so we'd love to hear from you ladies make sure you've subscribed to wellness and radio on itunes or whatever podcast medium that you're using give us a five-star rating if you feel that we deserve it because we love that that really is how we spread the message to everybody communicate with us and follow us on social media uh, and ladies until next week be well This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.